And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman and Bruce. Uh, the season ended over the weekend, and then you immediately got in a car and drove to Vegas. And I'm not sure people even realize that so much of the college football world convert it used to be New York, but as of this year, Vegas, that so much so much of the profession converges uh, for a few days, right? It's like you go immediately from, okay, here are the playoff teams, here are the bowls, to everybody congregating in one city. Right, so it's the it's the NFF National Football Foundation event. It's the it's the College Football Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, and it's really uh, two days of it, Monday and Tuesday, and then it feeds into other panels that uh, some of our colleagues, Andy Staples, is moderating with a lot of the fat cats from the um, from the CFP and and conference commissioners on Wednesday and Thursday that that go into it. So. It used to be when it was in New York, you'd see a lot more head coaches. You still see some head coaches, but I would say probably about half the number you would see before because there is the early signing period and recruiting is ramped up so much. But, I mean, just as a college football fan, I think it's pretty awesome to get to see and meet a lot of the greats of the game. And um, there were two classes that went in this year. And uh, part of it, myself and my colleague were there to help celebrate our colleague, Bob Stoops, who was going in for, uh, as part of the class. So on Monday night, right like right after I got there, I had to go over to a, uh, there was a big event that OU had put on. It was really cool because you not only had like Barry Switzer and you had, you know, Roy Williams and all these great players, but you also had Bill Snyder, who was, a, you know, obviously Stoops was a protege of his. And you had Barry Alvarez. And you had Gary Patterson and a lot of other coaches who maybe didn't coach with him, just wanted to, you know, to honor him. And it was a really, it was a cool event. And then Saturday, or I'm sorry, Saturday, then the next day there were all the press conferences. And it was, you know, it's a who's who of, of great players. You know, Eric Dickerson went in, um, Darren Sproles went in, Dan Morgan went in. It's just, there were so many um, iconic players in these two classes because it was there was no event last year. So I think you also had a lot of ADs and everybody else. A lot of our our colleagues in the in the college football beat also came to cover it, and um, it was a fun two days. We had a, an interesting confluence of you know some of these ADs that were there, like Joe Castiglione, had, had just been part of these you know major uh, coaching like. I wonder, you know, what would have happened if he didn't if he didn't get Brent Venables all done lined up before that ceremony. Yeah, and that's the other thing that's different, Stu. I remember going to this a few years ago, and and 
you would have a lot of coaching. It was like almost on the front end of the coaching search process. Things might be getting done because there's a lot of meetings that happen there. And now it's like a lot of this stuff, if you don't have anything done or if you're one of these agents who's involved in it, you probably couldn't go because you don't want, you know, you're just not as well positioned to work there. And so, I mean, there was still some stuff. I think, you know, Virginia was interviewing some people, some candidates there in Las Vegas. But for the most part, I think it was um, a lot of that stuff was either wrapped up or people are just kind of watching some of the dominoes, you know, keep falling a little bit in, in maybe assistant moves and that kind of thing. So the Hall of Fame stuff was on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, there was this forum where each of the commissioners spoke. Um, our Andy Staples did one of the interviews with Bob Bowlesby. And just just reading the seeing the tweets, the live tweets, what a weird dynamic there is among that group right now. Because obviously each one of them got asked about playoff expansion, and each one of them stated you know their own opinions on it. And then I saw a few, and it seemed like a few of them were also like you can tell that that it's getting testy. You know, there were uh, some little jabs at you know here's our position, and little jabs at some of the others who in their mind are holding it up. Um, you know, I've got for people who haven't. Andy did a really good story on this. I think it he went did. up uh, on a couple hours before we're taping this on Thursday morning. I keep forgetting what day it is. Uh, Thursday morning. But um, for people who haven't had a chance to read the story yet, but as always, do this is a good place for you to plug something, right, Stu? That is a great story by Andy. You should subscribe to the Athletic if you haven't done so already. Theathletic.com/slash/theaudible for a discounted subscription. Uh, Well, let's try to sum up here for people where each of the commissioners stands. And and remember, if you're confused and you're like, wait, I thought they already agreed to a 12-team playoff in the spring, um, a four-person working group put out a 12-team proposal in the spring. It seemed at the time like everybody was on board with most of it. And then the Oklahoma-Texas thing happened and it all crumbled. Uh, And now we're not there's no consensus other than they want to expand. Um, all right. The SEC, Greg Sankey has made made it clear many, many times. They're not going to do an eight-team playoff where six of the you know spots are automatic bids. They'll, they'll do 12 or they'll stay at four. They won't do eight. Um, Notre Dame obviously wants the bigger field with more at-larges for themselves. The ACC is trying real hard to get them to change to an eight-team playoff. And while Jim Phillips will say that it's about health and welfare and the players not playing too many games, let's be honest, this is their chance to try to force Notre Dame's hand to have to join the conference if it is eight teams uh, with only two at-large berths. Um, Pac-12, no, let's do Big Ten. Kevin Warren... And this is one that just baffles me. He and the Pac-12 are the ones most adamant that it should be automatic bids for the Power Five conferences. The proposal in the spring was just six, whoever conferences produce the sixth highest ranked champs will go, will get automatics. And most years that will be the Power Five plus one group of five, but occasionally maybe... uh, you know, maybe you have an eight and four champ in one of those conferences that doesn't make it. 
Kevin Warren wants it to specifically be Power 5 and Group of 5, Pac-12 as well. And Bowlesby's just kind of in the middle. He's he's He said, and I thought it was an interesting comment to Andy, would it be in the Big 12's best interest to have specifically for Power 5? Yes, but that's not what's best for college football. So he's he's playing Switzerland on that. And then I also thought it was interesting that, that uh, Klyovkov is basically taking, I wouldn't even call it a subtle threat, a threat to their group of five that if everybody doesn't get on board, you know, basically if they let this contract just run out, there's no guarantee the group of five would be part of the next iteration of this. You're basically starting from scratch. And he has suggested that the power five could just go do their own thing. And if they want to join us, great. If they don't, so be it. So to, to, to get this thing going by 2024, the, the, the feeling is it has to get done in the next month. And I just, at this point, I don't see how that's possible. Uh, you know, one thing that you and I have talked about, and I know you've said this several times, one of the things that's, that's people maybe overlook in this is the newness of the leadership in some of these positions. And George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, to me is at the top of the list with that. He is new to this. And so when he's talking about, I don't want to say being dismissive of group of five, but not being beholden to it, like that is not a position, like to be rather, you know, I don't want to say demonstrative, but not be subtle about it. I think that is a, that's a new dynamic, it feels like. He definitely, and, and this was true way back in when he first started on the job and I first talked to him in June and July at Paxwell Media Day. He definitely looks at everything through the prism of why did they do it this way? <laughs> you know, if I had been here at this time, this is not how we would have done it. Not so much him personally, but like he's been a successful businessman and he looks at this stuff and says, why do they do it this way? And, you know, he talked to Andy, wrote a second story just about his comments about non-conference scheduling and how ridiculous it is that they schedule games 15 years in advance. You know, I remember him telling me this back at the Ohio State-Oregon game that part of what appeals to him about the alliance is that they could do Big Ten ACC challenge type scheduling where they decide in January these two teams should be paired, these two teams should be paired. And I think you and I would agree that would be awesome, right? Yeah, I, I just think that because everything is so unstable, is that a fair way to categorize it? It just feels very unstable in terms of, you know, they had this really, it's not even a rollout. Like, just a ham-fisted or ham-handed, whatever the stupid term is, um, right, uh, over the summer. And now where is it, right? And he, and again, this is where he just doesn't hesitate to call things out. He's like, that was a mistake. I mean, I don't think he had even officially started as commissioner yet when they rolled that thing out. And he has said, that was a mistake. It got the, you know, the public uh, now has an expectation that they're going to do it that way before his conference you know, it was Sankey and Bowlesby were the two Power Five commissioners on that working group. So the other three, the Alliance, you know, they uh, they didn't have they didn't have a say in it. They agreed to that. Like, it's but not they like had spent two secret. years. You know, Craig Thompson told me they'd spent two years. Craig Thompson is the yeah. Mountain West commissioner, was also on the working. Group. He told me they'd spent two years in that process, and then COVID like, slowed it down. But yes, two years. But then you get back to. You know, all of a sudden it's like, I think a lot of us and a lot of people who follow college football were convinced, whatever this meeting was, I guess it was December 1st. Okay, this is, they're going to announce yeah. 
whatever their plan is because they basically had i don't even know did they tease it what would you say they did like two months ago you mean in june three months ago yeah in june they held a press they they held a press conference of those four uh it's uh Sankey, Bowlesby, Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD, and Thompson. And and they unveiled this, you know, they'd spent two years studying all these different models, and this is the one that they had decided was best, and that they were then going to take it to the other commissioners for them to weigh in on. And it's like, well, wait a minute, shouldn't you have waited till you actually knew that the others were on board with it before you unveiled it to the public? Uh Klyovkov's right. That was a mistake uh, from a public perception standpoint. That being said, I was at the meetings in Dallas in June where we weren't expecting them to rubber stamp it, but it sure felt that way. It just felt like everybody liked that proposal. And then Oklahoma, Texas to the SEC happened and all of a sudden everybody was like, wait, 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 maybe we should reevaluate. You know, that that's really uh, nefarious what Sankey did, that he was working with Bullsby that whole time and then he took his teams um and so yeah i mean there was no indication at all at that meeting that we would be here in december talking still talking about possibly eight teams i thought they were they all agreed that this 12 team model was best and and it was just there was minor details to be worked out like would the quarterfinals be on campus or be in the bowl games and um but of course one detail that was not minor that they hadn't come to any agreement on is when it's going to start they they rolled this thing out in great detail and then you'd say okay when's it going to start oh that wasn't part of our job well our job was just to come up with the format and then everybody votes on when it'll you know whether we should start it early or wait till the end of the contract so um what i keep being told is there's no hard deadline that they have to do it by but of course i was also told if they didn't do it by december 1st it wasn't going to happen now it's if we don't do it by january it's not going to happen the whole thing is a is a cluster i will say this i think in any negotiations, who has the leverage? The SEC has the leverage because they just got, again, two teams into the 14 playoff. So if this thing, if they just can't reach any sort of agreement and they just let this contract ride out, that's a lot worse for the Pac-12, who keeps missing the 14 playoff, than it is for the SEC. So I, that's why I think it'll ultimately end up being 12 teams and closer to what the SEC wants than what the Alliance conferences are, are pushing for. But we shall see. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In coaching carousel and AD carousel, uh, since our last podcast, Miami succeeded in luring Mario Cristobal away from Oregon and then 
Usually you would think they would hire the AD first and then the coach, but this time it went the other way. Dan Radakovich from Clemson is now Miami's AD. You know Miami like nobody else. What, this just seems like a really significant week for a program that had an athletic department that has never been known for making a big splash like this, and obviously the football program, which has been struggling for almost two decades. It is. Uh, you know, I feel like, and just, you know, some of this has to do with knowing Mario Cristobal for a long time. I think for people who looked at it and said, all right, he's built this and he's got Phil Knight and he's, you know, he's won Rose Bowls and Miami's a mess. Um, I don't think you really get how Mario Cristobal feels about South Florida or Miami, right? I think that was a big piece of it. But I honestly think he was pragmatic enough to know if they are not really committed to giving the program a real chance because he had every, you know, he had asked for a bunch of stuff at Oregon and they had been all in. And I know he really respected, you know, his bosses and and the people that he worked with there. So it wasn't going to be an easy decision, but ultimately when you see what Miami what they're talking about, financial resources. And things have changed. And as our colleague, you know, Manny Navarro, who covers Miami for the Athletic, has done a terrific job all season, especially, but in the last few weeks, kind of outlining where does the money come from? What has changed? And I think those are significant factors that have made it different. Um, And I think to some degree, and Mario Cristobal didn't tell me this specifically, but I think when you look at the landscape of the ACC, right now like florida is rebuilding fsu is rebuilding so those are the things in the state clemson is coming off their worst year in a long time they just lost their defensive coordinator there's a decent chance they're going to lose their offensive coordinator their ad is gone um those are all significant hits to to the one program in the acc that has been elite in recent years. So I think he knows, hey, there's one thing I know I can do better than anybody, and that's recruit. And there's one thing I know better than anyone, and that's the the landscape of South Florida. I'm going to bet on myself. And it's going to get really interesting because I would say what's different about this hire compared to any other hire Miami's made since they last won a national title is you have a guy who is a recruiting maniac, and he knows the landscape, and he was a big part of Nick Saban getting a pipeline into South Florida with all those great receivers. I'm not saying that pipeline's going to dry up, but I just think that um, if you are a Miami fan, this is the most excited you have been probably since the penalty, in the, in the uh, Terry Porter penalty dropped in the uh, Fiesta Bowl. Until the moment right up until that flag came out, basically. Do you think, I mean, I was under, I was operating for most of the season. I mean, it became evident that they had, that they weren't, you know, going to support Manny Diaz, uh, I don't know, pretty early on in the season, that there might be a change. And Cristobal's name would get mentioned, and I would think, he's not going to leave Oregon, you know, especially not for that dysfunctional, what has generally been a dysfunctional place. I started to feel differently when, after they lost got killed by Utah, you know, and got knocked out of the playoff. And, you know, you just start, like, I wonder how differently this would have played out if they had actually gone to the playoff, if they had actually 
uh, had the kind of season that that people thought they might, certainly after they beat Ohio State. It's hard to say, honestly. I mean, I go to the same place where if Oklahoma had won Bedlam this year, yeah. Matt Campbell's probably the head coach at USC, more likely than Lincoln Riley is at this For point. For all the Iowa State fans who have been tweeting me angry that I suggested in a column that Matt can't, it's, a, it's surprising he's still at Iowa State. Let the record be shown that Bruce just said, say it again. No, I think if if Lincoln Riley's team lose, wins instead of loses, I don't think he – and they're going to be in the Big 12 title game with a real chance to make the playoff. I don't think Lincoln Riley can make that move yeah. to USC. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I know USC really liked Matt Campbell. I'm not sure 100% of Matt Campbell gets a chance to meet with him. He's going to want to go or not. I know this. I mean, I know they realize he's a really good coach. And – so I think that was possible. That's very possible. Um, a lot of fork in the road moments or, or sliding doors moments with this that we might look back at ten years from now. What if Oklahoma had won Bedlam? What if Cincinnati, instead of being twelve and zero going into that conference championship game, was eleven and one, and Notre Dame knew they could go out and get Luke Fickle? Just a lot of, and then of course, like I said with Oregon, but. No, the moment I figured this was probably going to happen was um, after the game that used to be called the Civil War, uh, he told the media he was flying back to Florida that day uh, because his mom is not doing well. And, okay, well, you know, it's always been a little bit odd that a guy from South Florida whose family still in South Florida is all 3,000 miles in the other direction. And if that's the case, I'm not saying that's the only reason he did it or, or where that ranked on the reasons, but, you know, maybe that was a moment of like, gosh, I, I want to be back by my family. Yeah, I, I again, I think there was just so many factors that I think made it very compelling for him. And this is the time. And look, this is this is a big move. So I'm going to ask you this. Five years from now. Has Mario Cristobal gotten Miami in the playoff? I'm not saying has Miami won the ACC. Oof. They haven't won it. Tell me. You know how he can recruit. You know what the landscape is. I know ACC how he can recruit. Right I think he will dominate in recruiting there. But I don't know how you could come away from his four years at Oregon and be like, yes, he's definitely a coach that will take a program to the playoff. I mean, they still, you know, in the end of the day, I think he recruited better than he coached. Um, very bizarre why he was so loyal to Anthony Brown. Um, you know Dan Rubenstein of the Sal Verbal, huge Oregon fan. I thought he was a little too harsh, but I understand you can be bitter when a coach leaves. But I mean, he he made it seem like good riddance. Uh, too many uh, watching too many games where they made the same mistakes uh, or losing to a three and nine Stanford team. So uh, I'm not gonna make that. I think they'll do very Give well. Me a I think they'll be a Give lot. Give me a percentage that they make the, the playoffs in five years. Yes. 39. Okay. What are you that's going not, with? that's not, what's that? What are you going with? I will say 53%. Okay. So it's better than a coin flip that they get. I mean, one thing that's going to be fascinating is like you said, I mean, right now I'm of the assumption that Clemson just had a down year this year and they'll go back to being Clemson, but they lost Brent Venables and that's not a small thing. And uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're, the dynasty is crumbling and that the and if you and if that is the case it's not like there's another ACC school that you'd say well if Clemson's going to be down then 
Like, I don't know that Pitt is going to become a, or Wake are going to become like annual contenders. Obviously, the two you would think of are Florida State and Miami. Well, also, one thing Miami has going for it now that I, you can't say this in a long time, like, talk to football people. They think Tyler Van Dyke is a future first-round pick at quarterback. You have that. That would be more appealing to get a to get a good offensive coordinator in there. That also would be appealing to receivers who may want to go into the portal to play with him. Bruce, we have not answered emails here in a few weeks, and we had quite a few pile up. Some of them obviously are outdated now, but let's go to the mailbag. As always, send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Stu, let me go with the first question for you. And this is from all the way on the other side of the pond from Kev. Greetings from a windy and wet UK. Here's a two-part question, Stu, for those of us still fairly new to college football. If you please... Please explain the benefits of being independent outside of controlling your own schedule. Surely belonging to a conference gives you a better share of the money, unless you're Notre Dame, and have your own on-demand network. Plus, I know they sell their home games to Sky TV, Sky Sports in the UK. Also, do Group of Five level teams have an advantage in being independent over Power Five level teams, or vice versa? Or does it not make any difference? Thanks, Thanks for, for the, the questions, Kev. Bruce, I learned something from this. Did you know that Notre Dame has their own TV deal in the UK as well? I mean, it makes sense. Uh, you know, they, they just, you know, I'm sure that um, I think most of ESPN's programming is available in the UK, you know, in, in however they sell that. I'm not sure. But anyway, okay, good questions. So... I don't know that there is much benefit of being independent unless you're Notre Dame. And you see that with BYU. Uh, they had a chance to finally join a power conference and they're going. And it's very hard to, like, I'm not even sure be- controlling your schedule is necessarily a benefit unless you're Notre Dame because you are, uh, you know, in many cases having to, like, BYU does a good job of getting five or six uh, power five games that, you know, where the, it's either early in the season or, you know, they played USC at the end of the season, but in the middle, they're kind of left for scrap to, to play the scraps that are available during that time. Army is, a, is maybe the only other one that does it um, voluntarily. Uh, and you know what? I'm, I'm not sure I've ever really heard the full reasoning for that other than um, much like Notre Dame, there's national, uh, it's a national fan base uh, of the military academy. And, and, you know, Notre Dame has always said, the main reason they like being independent is being able to play in all different parts of the country because they consider themselves national. And I'm assuming the, the military academy looks at themselves much the same way. Uh, group of five teams have an advantage of being independent. No, I, I, I mean, you're seeing it now. Like Liberty is now joining a conference. BYU is joining a conference. The only reason UConn isn't independent is they got kind of kicked out of the AAC uh, well, that's not true. They they wanted their basketball teams to be in the Big East, and the AAC was like, well, if you're not going to have basketball, then you're not going to be part of our football conference either. So, um, you know, that's one of those things where there's a lot of things about college football that if you're trying to explain it to somebody from scratch in another country, it would make zero sense, and that that's certainly one of them. Um, okay, Bruce, for you, Ben in Charlotte. Bruce and Stu, what are your thoughts on the Brent Pry hire at Virginia Tech? It seems 
like by far the strangest hire of the coaching carousel, did Virginia Tech simply try to hire a Bud Foster from 10 years ago? You know, he did a good job as a defensive coordinator for them for a while. Um, he obviously developed a lot of really good NFL talent. This is one I, I like, you know, when we say be careful about like doing these report cards of, you know, grades of hires. Like if you told me Brent Bryant, Brent Pry ended up leading them to be a top 15 team, it wouldn't shock me. If you told me it didn't, it wasn't working out any better than the Fuente hire, it wouldn't shock me. It's really hard, I think, to predict how it's going to work for a coordinator hire when they go to Power 5. It's different if you told me, oh, he's going to be the next head coach at App State or somewhere like that. But, you know, when it's a Power 5 job and you're learning on a, you know, learning on the fly, it's like you just don't know. You know, I know Pry's very well respected by other coaches. We know he knows that landscape to recruit. I just... You know, we don't know how he's going to do. So much is dependent on how his staff comes together. I mean, I think that's the most underrated aspect, especially for first-time head coaches, is is what kind of staff can they put together and how cohesive it is. And I feel like this is going to be a cop-out. Sorry, Ben, but I don't know. You know, like, and I hesitate to say this, but like when I sat with some of our friends in college football media, um, uh, I guess it was Tuesday. We were having lunch. You know, I that name came up as like, what's the hire you were kind of most underwhelmed by? And one of the people had mentioned Brent Pry, and I'm my, you know, I rolled this around in my head, and I was just like, I don't know. I wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have raved about the Luke Fickle hire when it happened, but it turned out to be. A I great learned hire. my lesson with Sam Pittman. You know, yeah, good point. There were because he was hired by Arkansas the same year that. Lane Kiffin was hired at Ole Miss, and Mike Leach was hired at Mississippi State. So, like, these schools were making these big splash hires, and Arkansas hired an offensive line coach who had, for whatever reason, never risen up to be a head coach until now, and he's doing very well. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, as much as I respect, highly respect Brent Venables as a defensive coordinator, I don't know if he's going to be a great head coach for Oklahoma or not. Yeah, and I think, honestly, the times when, when we collectively as college football reporters like shit can a hire and, and it proves to be the case, yeah, I think we all really thought Steve Adazio was a disastrous hire. And that one we all seem to get right. You know, we've talked about how much we've been wrong so far and we all thought Scott Frost was a, was a grand slam hire and that hasn't worked out. Um, I don't know what to compare this one to. I, I like you bringing up uh, Arkansas and Sam Pittman. I mean, I, I feel like for me a little bit, Will Muschamp not working out as a head coach, first at Florida and then to some degree certainly at South Carolina, was kind of a lesson learned, you know, because somebody you like and you think, you know, and remember, like, there was like a glowing comments about Will Muschamp after he got fired by the leadership yeah. of Florida, you know, kind of thing. But just sometimes guys in their first job, and it's a big job, it just... It just doesn't work out, and we'll see if we'll see if Brent Pry is going to be more Sam Pittman or Bob Stoops. Then he's going to be Will Muschamp. Here's the thing, you know, it's kind of the natural progression that as your coach works his way up, you know, it makes sense that you would hire that the last step is coordinator to head coach. But I've always said the skill set that's required to be a good head coach is not doesn't have much in common with being a really good coordinator. You know, when you're the head coach, it's not about it's no longer about 
scheme, game planning. Uh, I mean, they're part of that, but that's not their primary job. You are running, you are basically a CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company, essentially. You know, you have to hire the right staff, uh, develop the culture there, uh, organizational, fundraising, media obligations. How many coaches, Bruce, have you talked to like when they first take the job who are, yeah, I thought I knew what I was getting into, but man, it's so much stuff that's not has nothing to do with football. Oh, and that's the thing. It's like you don't know what you don't know until you're in the middle of it. And I don't know. I, I think that's something that is really, really a tough, you know, a, a tough thing to get a handle on. Um I don't know. It just and then think just, about uh, <laughs> college coaching hires. Maybe the strangest. Uh, the whole process is just so strange, right? Like, let's say, okay, my wife hires a lot of people in her job, and the interview process and the screening and the you know, flying somebody out. Like, it takes months uh, sometimes to hire these people. College coaching searches. I mean, how many? You know, Brian Kelly said he got on one forty-five minute call with Scott Woodward. Um, you know, Lincoln Riley did one Zoom. I don't know how much time did uh, Whit Babcock have to even get to know Brent Pry, right? And and there's so much at stake. Um, so it's not a you know when you say that, and when I was thinking that out loud, no wonder so many of these things don't don't end up working out. But but you're right. But there's also you mentioned Steve Adazio. Like it never <laughs> ceases to amaze me. There's always about maybe one, maybe two of those a year where it is painfully obvious to everybody in the country except the person making the hire that this is a spectacular failure waiting to happen as you've probably heard by now we've teamed up with betmgm this season we'll be using betmgm lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week if you haven't signed up for betmgm yet use bonus code the athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to the athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with betmgm here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You don't know this, but so while while we were talking, I was like, let me find an old Stu Report card, oh, no. not an actual one. No, this is going to go well for you, okay. actually. So I've, let me, let's look back 10 years. Now, some of these... Ten, you found one was from a, 10 years ago? Yeah, I know thankfully, I've been doing it that long. thankfully, Jeez. thankfully, whatever SI is has become has not scrubbed your presence entirely. But there were some there were some no brainers in this class. So, all right, so I'm gonna, yeah, please do not look up anything. Okay. So I'm going to say a name. You tell me what you think you graded them. Mike Leach to Washington State. I bet I gave that an A. You did. You gave it an A plus. And honestly, that you hit that. I mean, because they were awful and Leach. Did some amazing things there. 
Um, Urban Meyer to Ohio State. If I didn't give that an A+, plus, I shouldn't have had the job. Well, you shouldn't have had the job. <laughs> no, you gave I it do? an A. I don't know why you didn't give it an A plus. Probably because of the way he, you know, the the weird nature of the end of his Florida tenure. It's probably the only holdup. Rich Rodriguez to Arizona. A minus. You gave it an A. You might be starting to cheat now. Well, I, you better move it around. You're, if you're going down, yeah, the page, I know. I'm, I know. Yeah. I'm. St- I realize that. Okay. Um, Bill O'Brien to Penn State. Oh, I pan that. Uh, C. C. Oops. Oops. Um, Kevin Sumlin to Texas A&M. A. No, B. Really? Uh, yes. Hugh Freeze to Ole Miss. Uh, not good. Um, B minus. Yeah, there you go. Um, hopefully you're not cheating right No, now. I'm not. Jim Mora to UCLA. C. D. Gosh, D, you hear I can't that, Jim? You call me the that asshole. You should have called Stu the podcast. asshole. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's not listening anymore. Um, but let me ask you something. I, he was not a D, okay? Let's make it clear. No, he wasn't a D. But what if you're giving him a grade on how his tenure went, what would it be? Uh, I would give him a B-. minus. That's what I was going to say, too. All right. Uh, Illinois hired Tim Beckman. Oh, no. And you loved it. Oh, no. Why do we even know about Tim Beckman going into that job? Wasn't he, he was the coach of Toledo for like two years? Beckman, a Berea, Ohio native, knows the Midwest and the Big Ten. He coached at Ohio State under Jim Trestle. The 46-year-old went 14-2 and in the MAC the past two years, reaching good. the conference title in 2011. He shows promise, though his head coaching experience is limited to three years. So I gave it, what, a A? You gave him a B. A B. Okay. That was not a B. That was a that was big F. fat D. That was like a D minus. Um, okay, not, here's the one you exactly, got. This not exactly, you know, whenever it comes time Kansas to read hires, this year's hires, this is not exactly inspiring people to read it. Kansas hires Charlie Weiss. F. What did you give it? F. No, Stu, you gave him a C plus. No, I didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. You gave him enough. You gave him enough. Um, Todd Graham, Arizona State. Okay, if I recall, that was under somewhat controversial circumstances. Um, I'm going to say I gave Forget it Forget the unseemly way he exited. Nobody forgot it. So certainly not me. By the way, you. now he's in another, you know, hot water situation. Hawaii players are going public with accusations of him being verbally abusive. Uh, I'm going to say I gave it a C. You gave him a D. Okay. You gave him a I wouldn't D. say his Arizona State tenure was a D. No, I wouldn't yeah. either. It was probably uh, close. Was, if we said Moore was a B minus, then I would say Graham was a B minus. I would give him a C plus. Okay. Um, Larry Fedora, North Carolina. I bet I love that one. I you bet did. I gave it an A minus. You gave him a B plus. Okay. Uh, I think that's run the gamut. I think there might be one or two we've we've missed here, but that was the gist of it. It's a crapshoot. I mean, unless it's an Urban Meyer to Ohio State, right? That's obvious. You should, you know, you give me so much crap about Harbaugh. You should go find the one I wrote when he was hired. I think I gave it an A plus. Um, uh, it, well, why would why would you not? Everybody yeah. would have at that point. So, so, uh, but look, so, there's the ones that are obviously most of these good. Un, most of these, under aside from your Beckman fanaticism, <laughs> um, was were pretty pretty astute. I, although, again, you gave Urban an A. I mean, even people who hate Urban. Would I wonder why I gave Leach a higher grade than Urban. He, Leach had been out of coaching for a couple years at that point. I don't know. Uh, I, you know, yeah. 
I mean, look, the, I can't there say are some Leach obvious ones on the high end. Every him. year, there's some obvious ones at the high end. I will be giving USC. I'll tell you right now, I'll be giving USC an A plus for Lincoln Riley, and then there's some obvious, you know, Charlie Weiss to Kansas at the low end. Everything in between is a crapshoot. There is no Charlie Weiss to Kansas in this cycle. No, there hasn't been, but there still could be. No, I don't think there can be. I think that was I. I think that was an epic fiasco. What's crazy is that can't you know there aren't that yeah, many epic yeah. fiasco hires, but Kansas, Kansas has had, two, had of them. two of them. Yes, one of our colleagues I think ranked the worst hires in the Big Twelve over whatever it was. Man, Kansas was like Kansas was like me in school, which is why I had to go to junior. I believe college. that was Max. Maybe teamed up with somebody else. I can't remember. We did that for every conference. I think we did ranking all of the coaching hires since 1992. I don't remember what the, the earliest date was on those. And it was always, I mean, the main thing is you would get to maybe halfway through and you'd be like, gosh, this guy is high enough to be half only halfway through because so many of these don't work out. Um, all right. That was a fun little trip down memory lane. Thanks for that. Um, Bruce from Mike in Boone, North Carolina. Pretty simple and straight to the point. Should they rethink early signing day? It's causing complete chaos with coaches having to take the jobs. I say yes. I say yes, too. I mean, it's for everything we've seen in the last couple of weeks, you're putting everybody in a, in a bind on it. Um, it's not doing entirely. Like, it's it's helped one thing a little bit, and it's hurt something else even more. And I just think, I don't know when, do you move it all the way back to when it was, or do you move it back to the middle of January. I'm not sure how much that helps, but it definitely would would alleviate some of the problems. I mean, I always thought they should have one before the season, have one on September 1st that theoretically should only be the guys who are absolutely 100%. I'm willing to sign with this school no matter who they end okay, up Okay, but then you're going to let them out of it then? Well, if you do that, then why would you even have it, right? That's my yeah. point. So, yeah, to me that doesn't make sense. Um, we have what we have 30 we're gonna have like 30 coaching hires you know this cycle this is on the higher end but it's like normally we have 20 to 25 what are you gonna let all those other players out which i think you should but then what's the point of having it you're saying if you have it on september 1st you have to be able to let all the players out if there's a coaching change i think that's the right thing to do because then you'd have players not wanting to play in certain systems or whatnot and you know if you're I mean, ideally, this is never going to work out in reality. Ideally, the only players that would sign on September 1st are like, hey, my dad went to Michigan. My grandfather went to Michigan. You know, I don't. if Harbaugh retired, I'm still going to Michigan. But, of course, the coaches would try to pressure everybody to sign on that date. So forget I said that. Bad idea. Um, Mid-January would help. Um, now... I, think I mean, butted up against the NFL, butted up against the NFL deadline. The other thing that's happening, draft deadline, is coaches now, and this is kind of a crazy year because of the COVID, COVID super senior dynamic, but you have like 33 roster spots if everybody is, you know, available to move on. But you have a lot of guys deciding, do I go in the portal? Do I want to come back? The coaches are like, do we want you back? Um there's a lot of stuff to juggle this year, and I think that's only made it more chaotic. Yeah, I mean, I would think if they do rethink early signing day, they also need to try to put some parameters around the portal connected to that. Um, I 
I mean, I don't know that you could say what's the what's the deadline for the early eligibility it's, or for the it's usually no for it's the usually um, around draft not for the draft for getting immediate eligibility this new waiver you know the one time exception I think it's like May first yeah and then you're kind of locked in or whatever um, maybe you should have two signing days one of them's in January and the other one's around that date so that your coaches could. If they lose more transfer portal guys than they were expected, they could, you know, dip in and get a few more high school guys. All right, Stu, do we have time for one more question? By the way, we just left that as, like, we have no answer. We think they should rethink it. We don't know what they should rethink it to. Uh, Yes, we have time for one more question. Okay. Uh, It's related, though, to what we were talking about before. Ed uh, says, hey, guys, break out the magic eight ball and look into the future five years. Will the hiring of Billy Napier of Florida... And Florida getting serious about recruiting resources and the hiring of Mario Cristobal uh, be a turning point for Florida schools reclaiming the state in recruiting, or will Bama, UGA, and Clemson still be raiding our backyard while the state schools flounder? I think they will still be getting some players out of there. I think it will change. I like the Billy Napier hire at Florida. I think it's one of the better hires um, of this cycle to me, and we'll see if I'm proven right on this, but I like the hire by UF. I think Cristobal is a game changer for Miami from a recruiting standpoint. Um, the other thing is happening too is like Florida State was putting together a good recruiting class, and I don't think that they're gonna, you know, hit the brakes and go the other way at this point. So I think there's a bunch of stuff that has kind of happened, and we'll see. Obviously, you know, Alabama and Georgia are not falling apart or anything like that. Uh, you've had other schools who've come down into South Florida and done really well. I think they'll still get players. There's just so many players in South Florida. You cannot keep them all there. It's just keeping the right ones is the is the is the biggest focus. I mean, I think as long as Alabama is Alabama, that's still going to be very appealing wherever part of the country you're in. But yes, I expect Cristobal to keep way more of the top South Florida guys home. Um, you know, you know how we always say some people say like, oh, it's better for college football if such and such is good. Yeah, I heard that a lot with Michigan. It's better for college football if the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry is more even. I think it would be better for college football if all three Florida schools were finally good again at the same time. Oh, a thousand percent. And I do think it's better when college football when Michigan's good and really good. I think it's been that has been one of the one of the um, you know like just jolt of adrenalines that came in when people started to realize, oh, holy crap, Michigan's actually good. You know, it's not just, oh, they whipped a down Washington team or whatever. Like the last couple of weeks, and obviously, you know, full disclosure, I work at Fox. I think there was a lot of high-fiving going on in our control room at that point. <laughs> you know, people realize, oh, my God, Michigan's really good. Now, when you say stuff like that, if you're, you know, some fans will take that as a slight. Like, oh, you're saying it's not good for college football that, that Cincinnati's having a great year or... Uh, when, I think when people I, who listen to our podcast know we kind of, I feel like they know we kind of have Cincinnati's back on this. I feel like I have, you know, or like, I won't uh, eat your chili stew, you but know, I will, I will, I will uh, support your, like, are we saying it's better for college football if the Florida schools are good and not Wake Forest? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it has to get back to late eighties, early nineties. And those three Florida schools all win 11, 12 games every single year. I would just like to experience it for one year. Uh, the Florida Florida State game this year was so sad. They were both five and six, and I in Miami, 
the last like big Miami game I remember was the prime time against Notre Dame in 2017. They crushed Notre Dame and they were undefeated, and everybody's like, "Ah, the U is back!" And then they just there was they just imploded. Didn't remember, yeah, they didn't keep any of the momentum from that. Yeah, and I I don't want to say that was a mirage, but I felt like that was more of an upset game. That wasn't like here's Miami that they're they're good, but they weren't. Great. It was one of those perfect and, storm games. They turned around and lost to Pitt, and um, yeah, that team ended the season losing to Pitt, losing to Clemson in the ACC title game, and losing to Wisconsin in the bowl game. Uh, and then Mark Richt was gone a year later. Okay, that was some good questions. Send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.